This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, founder of Lola Media. And I guess in this case, Paul, fan or not a fan of the metaverse, depending on how you want to look at it these days. Yeah. So um, as we talked about in the past and notably episode six, the metaverse, I mean, it's a big phrase. It's a big yeah, it's sort a, of buzzword <laughs> in entertainment. But what the hell is it? And is it going to be popular? I think those are some questions that people are starting to ask. And here's the thing with technological innovation, right? Like it evolves, it has major influences, but there isn't a set gestation period, right? It's not like you can go in, you build a metaverse team, and then nine months later, you have a baby metaverse. Yeah. It's not like that. Yeah. It's so certain things evolve in different timelines. And some people are saying a metaverse is like 10 years away. Who knows? Yeah. All we can say is that things are moving in that direction and various companies are investing a lot of time and resources in building out what I would say, I would define it as, an interconnected digital world where brands and companies and developers and users exist seamlessly. So, you know, you could literally be experiencing a game and then you walk into a digital store and you look at some new clothes and maybe you can buy artwork and you have a house. So it seems like it would, I don't know. I think a lot of people are sort of unclear about what the metaverse is, but they don't want to certainly as an investor, you don't want to miss out on no, you know, the next no. iPhone, the next Facebook, yeah. the next TikTok. And it's like not all metaverses are created equally, but it was something that definitely got people excited in the last 12 months, like this digital world and all the things that you could do with it, all the economies that you could have within it. And we saw like little teasers of that, right? Like technically one could say watching Travis Scott in Fortnite and that's that was a concert, a digital concert is a form of a metaverse. Well, gaming, and we'll discuss towards the end of the episode, gaming is in a lot of ways sort of like the closest thing we have to a metaverse. Yes. Roblox, you know, Call of Duty, 
these games where you kind of exist in virtual cities and lands, but there are some critical differences between gaming as it exists today and what a metaverse is sort of anticipated to be. But in episode six, this is back when Bob Iger wasn't working for Disney in that short period. We talked about how he got a board seat at Genies, and Genies is a company that makes avatars, which are supposed to exist within multiple forms of media. So you could use the Better Call Paul avatar in Roblox, but also in Fortnite or whatever. Like porting that identity across. Right, you could port it into the HBO Max metaverse or the Disney Plus metaverse, or maybe it's just one metaverse and they all have different communities. And so I don't know when, and this is a question I have for you is, is it metaverses or is it just one metaverse? Yeah, I think it's the, the, the same thing as saying, I think both are correct. I think the metaverse is saying like like virtual reality and then metaverse is is like everyone's creating their own version of that. But it's all supposed to be seamless, right? Like it, it's supposed to be seamless porting to different metaverses is supposed to be seamless because that is a characteristic of like web3 and metaverse is essentially built on this idea of web3 which is that you should own your identity and you should be able to like go from metaverse to metaverse to metaverse, i.e. decentralized communities, whereby instead of saying, I'm in the Facebook metaverse, and then you go to another one separately and you can't take your stuff with you or you can't take your identity with you. The whole concept here is like a digital world. Oh, you have to build new credentials and points and everything. And that's like a centralized So I have this many Instagram followers, but I only have this many TikTok followers. And I only have this many LinkedIn influence. Exactly. And so like- the metaverse was supposed to be this world or in theory can be this world where everyone can keep their stuff. Like they can, they have their, the money with them, their digital currencies, they have their identity, they have the people that they're communicating with and they don't have to keep like changing it up. It's like when you're on Xbox Live versus PlayStation versus Nintendo, those are three different identities, three different like economies. This is saying, well, why can't it all be seamless? And this is the idea in Web3, which is like porting identity. And if you haven't seen it, well, I'm much, I know you have, but to anyone listening, Ready Player One, I think it's a good take on on this yes. sort of concept. So and I think it's Steven Spielberg, right? So it's it's a fantasy and fancy movie, and it does sort of make me optimistic about the metaverse. But for those of you who are interested in sort of experiencing this or getting more of a granular creative audiovisual take on it, I would watch that because Mesh and I discussed it, but uh, you know, if you have a chance and you haven't seen it, watch the movie Ready yeah. Player One. And it's it's a great it's a great example. It's a great example of what can be, but obviously technology is hard. Technology is hard. And to your point on technology being hard. So the Wall Street Journal and others have been reporting that there's this trend. So 2021, Facebook rebrands as Meta, says We want to focus on the metaverse. Gets a lot of people excited. The economy was growing. Debt was cheap. Everyone was investing in the future. Microsoft had a metaverse project. Disney had, uh, well, 2022, they launched their next generation creative storytelling or whatever it's called, next generation storytelling. So anyway, recently, fast forward to now, spring of 2023, we may or may not be in a recession. Interest rates are much higher layoffs sort of plaguing a lot of industries and businesses are being more careful about what they spend. And they're more focused on 
delivering results today as opposed to delivering results yeah. five years from now because money is more expensive to borrow. And it's like careful with what they spend, but it's also aggressively cutting costs right now because everything is so unclear. Hence why we're seeing so many layoffs and we're seeing so many people like cut where money is not being made right now. And because everyone needs to right, survive. Right now, exactly. Right, right because, now. And this is all tied to when money is free or essentially free to borrow, when interest rates are low or at, you know, close to zero, spending today versus spending tomorrow doesn't have as much of an impact, right? The future value of money isn't that different than what it is today. So why not take a bet on the future? Now, with interest rates being much higher than they were, it's like that dollar seven years from now could potentially cost us a lot more today. Yeah. So yeah. therefore, we want to be focused on projects that are going to produce fruit quicker. And so the Wall Street Journal has reported that a couple companies are sort of shifting strategy. Microsoft shut down yeah, their Metaverse yeah. project. Like they people. also have a VR project. I think they shut that down too, Allspace VR. Disney has closed its Metaverse project. And we discussed last week how Disney's doing 7,000 layoffs and there are some cuts to Marvel and there are some cuts in other areas. And, and really talented people are, are, are losing their jobs and not necessarily for lack of ability, but just because the company's going in a different direction. So Bob Chapek, the prior CEO, was more focused on building this next generational storytelling team, which Bob Iger is dismantling that team. And another indicator is so... Mesh, I don't know if you have land in the metaverse, but there's a couple companies that are selling land in the metaverse, like Decentraland and Sandbox and... Um, I think it's Reality Realm. Yeah, it's interesting. I I remember it was like in the middle of COVID where this thing was like the hottest thing, like buying land in the metaverse or buying these digital lands where, you know, you could buy a, a piece of land next to Snoop Dogg's digital piece of land. I mean, this was a thing for a while and people were like speculating that, okay, digital land is going to be worth a lot. And it was complete speculation. These The prices on these things were insane and obviously not the case now. A year ago, we were prepping and I read that someone like bought a house yeah. next to Snoop yeah. Dogg's house. <laughs> yeah. And I was talking to Jess, like, how do you value digital real estate? I understand digital real estate could also be you know, a URL, like a yes, web address. Yes. In this case, it was actually digital property, which is, you know. Right. Like you can you can monetize like Google.com, yeah. right? Or something yeah. like that where there's a lot of traffic. But how do you monetize sort of like the digital iteration of real property? I don't know. So anyway, the median sale price for a square meter of land on Decentraland last year was $45. Now it's $5. Yeah. I still don't know what it's worth. Is $5 a good deal now that it's 90% cheaper than it was last year? Or is it not? Who the hell knows? I mean, it's one of those things where I think it's very, very clear when things come down 90, 90-ish percent. It's a lot of speculation. I mean, I think a lot of people are genuinely excited. Like the idea of being able to, I've got a digital property. I'm going to build a house on this. I'm going to put my gallery of NFTs on here. Like everyone was excited about that idea. But then a lot of people were speculating. Everyone was trying to flip things. Like That is kind of the problem with a lot of this is that speculation leads to all sorts of weird behavior around economics. And so like people don't really care. They're just trying to make a buck here. But I think you know what we've seen is that- Because they think they can sell it to someone for more. They think they can sell it for, like, for more. And for the mainstream world, you know, that was just seen like, well, that was speculation. Those things are down now. And I think the metaverse excitement got sucked out where- one of the main things is that building a metaverse means that our experience in the metaverse has to be great. And that is a lot to do with hardware. And hardware is very, very, very expensive. Yeah, and so so listen, I mean, the land thing, 
I never fully got it. I assume that at $5, it's a better deal than $45, but I still don't know what it's worth. And when you talk about like real estate, location, location, location on earth, like location matters because it impacts your property value, what sort of regulation you're under, what you can charge for rent, if it's a rental property or office property or it's a warehouse or whatever. So like it's easy or not necessarily easy, but it's, we have a way of monetizing real property in the world because we can tie it to cash flows yeah. or if not like comps. And so I don't know how you do that with digital property. And that's just one of the many challenges of the metaverse. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to dive back in with some other challenges that the metaverse is facing and maybe potential questions about how to build and structure a metaverse. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So, Paul, like this whole metaverse collapsing thing, the, the news has generally been, as you read earlier, the Wall Street Journal reported, but generally what's been going on is that it's all about cost cutting and it's all about cost cutting things that are not making money. And this is why Microsoft, Disney shutting down areas that just haven't worked because the metaverse hasn't gotten to what we all imagined to be, where they could use their IP and, you know, potential characters and stories and getting people to like spend money on that. And obviously in with public markets, and these are all public companies, you have short-term pressure on a stock price. And so, you know, you have investors in the stock and you have on the board and they're basically saying, especially to like someone like Mark Zuckerberg, who spent billions and billions and billions of dollars of something we haven't 13 really- 13 billion. 13 billion. We haven't seen anything yet. And then they're like, dude, we're competing with, you know, some of the biggest companies right now. And one of the things we'll talk about is, you know, the emergence of AI, like you have to stay competitive and we really need you to reel in the spending here. And so even someone like Mark Zuckerberg, who's betting this next phase of Facebook on the metaverse, is also being like, all right, I think we need to like chill out here. And we can talk about like some of the other issues beyond not just like it making money. It's that building something that we experience in the digital world has to be better than our experience here. I mean, I think why games have been so great. Yeah, that's a whole nother element to it is like, is it an escape? Is it a supplement? Is it an alternative? And do we want it to be an escape? So I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head with the one thing is like the way our economy works, whether we like it or not, the way it works is investors fund companies, public companies and private companies, but public companies are required to disclose certain information on a typically on a quarterly basis, annual basis. And so they have to report things. And what this leads to is a lot of pressure and emphasis on the short term, short term decisions. 
And the way that stocks and bonds and equities and, and alternatives and derivatives are traded is like instantaneous. And there's, you know, this efficient market random walk theory that, you know, all the information is priced in. So if you get something that's sort of unknown, you have to act on it right away. If you run a company and you're like, yeah, I have this great project. I don't know when it's going to bear fruit. It could be 10 years from yeah. now. But while we're waiting, it's going to cost a ton of money. Yeah, like, like billions. You, as an executive of a company, may not have a 10-year run to just keep yeah. throwing money at something. And so, you know, if you report, report bad results two or three quarters in a row, you could be gone. And so I don't know how to fix it, but this is a concern I have with our political process too. It's like sometimes these problems take 10, 20, 50 years to fix, and politicians are focused on a four-year time horizon or two-year time horizon or six-year time horizon, they're not necessarily focused on solving a problem that could take decades to solve. They're focused on getting reelected. And so that's one of the challenges to building something this overwhelming. And then you build it and let's say people don't come or let's say people don't like it because it's not, as you said, compelling enough. So I think one of the gating issues, Mesh, is hardware. Yes. And hardware is expensive. It's expensive. And so I think about 2007, the iPhone comes out. Yes. And that led to a revolution. Changed the world. And created the gig economy, yeah. Uber, Airbnb, you know, all these apps that could not exist if you didn't have a, a small computer with you at all times yeah. that could connect you. And it's not like someone said, well, we need rideshare before the iPhone. It just, it grew out of the fact that the hardware enabled it. And maybe, maybe this Apple headset is yeah. what we need to have a real critical yeah. mass of metaverse users. And to just build build on that is that, you know, what we were saying is that to have this amazing experience, like part of the reason why the metaverse is not, the, I mean, why there's cost cutting is we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel yet because there hasn't been like a compelling use case where the metaverse has like changed our world. I know that meta wants to do all sorts of things with it, but like the technology has not caught up with it. And, um, you know, there's, before we talk about the Apple headset and why this could be that inflection point, Palmer Lucky is a founder. He was the founder of Oculus that Zuck bought. Hence why we see Oculus, like meta Oculus headsets. Um, but it was a private company. Well, because meta is actually running the headset game right now. They have 80% of the market right, share through right, Oculus. Right. And think about it in this way where it's like, Facebook didn't develop Oculus. They ended up buying a private company that had raised venture funding that did that. And it might be actually one of the better cases for a public company. Instead of spending so much money on R&D, they just buy a company that's done it well. In this case, Oculus isn't there. But Palmer was actually saying that hardware is very important, but hardware is quote unquote hard and it's very expensive. And he said, what we have today is not just, it's not going to be something that the majority of people want to use for hours a day. And he said, even if it was given out for free, if you were giving out free Oculus headsets, people would probably use it a few times and then they won't use it again. And it's really just saying that like, it's just not that compelling. And we've seen this in gaming before too, right? Like something's, it's just okay. Or phones, like before the iPhone came out, people had taken a stab at like making, you know, a cooler phone. It just didn't work. And he's saying that, you know, Apple has the chance here to make a compelling, um, not only a VR headset, but something that's cool. And like what Apple does best, what you had said earlier. Heaven help us. They do hardware if really, If Apple comes really up well. with something that people put on their heads <laughs> and use more than their phones. Heaven help us. Yeah, but I'm just, this is just my opinion. I'm, I'm not even but I think, criticizing. I think you, I'm just I, saying I think like- you nailed that, right? Because like Apple's not going to, like <laughs> they don't want us to walk around looking stupid. Like everything is somewhat 
like even an Apple Watch, if you think about it, like it's pretty. It's so, don't even. I love the Apple Watch. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about it. I'm saying that lots of people love the Apple Watch and they wear it and they think about how it looks and they think about the design and it's fashionable and they do. You know, there's all these like. You know, they do something with Nike. You know, Louis Vuitton makes straps. Oh yeah, the the bands and the yeah <laughs> yeah. There's so many bands you can customize. I just think it's so useful. Like I'm so obsessed with my watch and just. For the, for the longest time, Jess had an Apple Watch and I didn't. And I was like, I'm already connected enough. I don't need a, to wear a mini phone on my wrist. It's, you know, whatever. I got it. I took it out of the box within three minutes. I was like, I, I want this <laughs> surgically attached. <laughs> but to but remember, remember the first version of the Apple Watch, right? Like the first version of the Apple Watch was okay. And then now they've, you know, the watch, not only the hardware is caught up, but they have like an app ecosystem for the watch, right? And so someone could argue the same thing for a headset. Like, you know, no one, developers aren't making stuff for the Oculus thing because no one's really using it. But could Apple change that game by making a compelling headset that not only hardware-wise is advanced enough, but the use cases is something that we want to use. And you had said this before, just with Apple putting money into content and doing things well. Maybe, who knows what the first experience is going to be, but maybe it's something to do with gaming or it's something to do with I think it's got to be the dinosaur content. thing. The, yeah, the, the dinosaur Earth. thing. Like we could be our own Adam yeah. Driver in our own movie traveling 65 million years ago and experiencing the dinosaurs and not getting, you know, a potential. I wouldn't even shoot them. I would just like watch <laughs> and like observe. Yeah, why, there's, no the there's no need ter- to shoot them. There's no need to shoot Pterosaurs and they're, they're so cute. And yeah, I would do it more just like as a science, like observational, like a trip to the Museum of Natural History. It would be like the Apple Oculus headset. Right. I don't know. To your point, in June at the WWDC conference, Apple's supposed to debut their headset, and it's rumored to cost three grand. No which way. Maybe outside the reach of a lot of people. Oh man, that's yeah. expensive. I mean, it's going to be the first generation, and so it, the iPhone Pro Max is is what without discounts. If you get a a, a terabyte of storage, it's probably fifteen hundred. Yeah. So maybe it's double that. Yeah. Uh, most people are not going to be able to afford that, but who knows? Maybe AT and T or some cell phone provider will figure out a way to make it like fifty bucks if you just, <laughs> you know, give them like you know sign like a ten year contract or something. So I, I don't know exactly how it's going to be cost effective to the majority of people. But assuming hardware was the problem, then that could be a potential solution. I would just point out or make a counterpoint that like. We've had 3D TV for a while. Yo, People man, aren't no, like, that, in a rush to buy 3D TVs that was the and wear dumbest. headsets when they're in their well, house. It's, it's, we, we talked about movie theaters and 3D movie theaters, right? Like I refuse to watch a movie in 3D unless it's made in IMAX 3D because the experience is compelling. So maybe hardware is just one of the potential yeah. hurdles, right? A lack of hardware. I think another is... And, you know, sorry to be the boring lawyer, but I think there are serious legal questions about how a metaverse would work and whether we should establish a framework now and rules and regulations for companies to sort of exist and fill in or whether we should let it be the wild, wild west. I mean, I know, for example, I'm not on my phone all the time, but I am on my phone a lot. And for younger generations like millennials, Gen Z, they're on their phone. They're on. They're watching TikToks hours a day, all the time. Maybe ten hours a day. I don't know. And so there are studies. And Steve Jobs was concerned about this when he released his iPhone. He was like, "I wouldn't let my kids use it because it can be really addictive. Yeah. You know, you're all all the stimulation, all this dopamine release. 
it may have negative effects on your attention span. And it's certainly like the impact of social media is leading to a lot of anxiety and depression, especially among teenage girls. And these are things that maybe we didn't know in the beginning, but after, you know, 10, 15 years of data and and the usage of these phones and the expansion of social media, we're starting to see it's good in certain areas, but it's potentially there's drawbacks in other areas. And, and do we want to have in this next decade before the metaverse potentially becomes ubiquitous, do we want to start trying to answer those questions and establishing the framework? Because I think there are questions about you know jurisdiction. Who makes these decisions? Is it the U.S.? Is it China? Is it the U.N.? Right. Is it companies? You know, in the absence, if if no sort of like international body sort of creates a framework, then companies are just going to do what they want, and they're going to have terms and conditions, and they're going to have carte blanche. And if that's not a result we want, because we don't think it'll end well, then maybe we do need a framework. But who gets to decide that? I mean, these questions that involve international impacts or things like a carbon tax. They're so hard to answer. And to get consensus among countries about something like the metaverse, which isn't even really a tangible concept, well, it's not even a thing just yet, seems impossible. Right? Like we don't even know what it is. We don't know what it is, but we know there could be consequences. Yeah, totally, and it's like totally. we have frameworks, Policy. but who's, who's making these decisions? And then what about like the concept of property? I mean, we have land, right? Decentraland, we were talking about that, but like what about the limits of, you know, your artwork or your digital rights and your data? You know, who owns that? Do you own yeah. that? Does the platform own that? Where can it be bought and sold? And who's making these rules? I mean, in the in the real world sense, quote unquote, you can't hear air quotes on Spotify or Apple, but in the real world, you know, if you are a California resident, then you get the protections of California data and right. privacy law. If you're a EU resident, then you're under the GDPR. Does that just in- instantly transfer to the metaverse or is there some different set of law? And and what if you have no idea where you're existing in the metaverse? What if it's some foreign world? Like, is it where the servers are? I, I don't know. And so there's questions about jurisdiction and crime and punishment and you know, is is the metaverse just a place where you can do whatever you want without consequences? Is is that what we want it to be? I mean, I think these things have to be thought about carefully and potentially answered before we're in a situation where we're reacting to problems. And so, you know, in addition to answering all these sorts of, you know, theoretical legal questions, I do think, you know, we should think about pros and cons and potentially, Mesh, I know you're you're doing a lot of research on these alternatives to the metaverse. But so, you know, we don't know quite what it is. We do know that certain companies like Disney and Microsoft are curtailing their investments in it. Yeah. But it's going to exist, right? The question is what form and whether it's a good or bad thing. But let's take a quick break and dive into some of the pros and cons that we see around the corner and potential alternatives to a metaverse. So, Mesh, when people talk about the metaverse being an escape, the environmentalist in me thinks we should try to make the world as good as we can, whether that's sustainability or investing in carbon mitigation or carbon capture or some you know, alternative energy and uh, sources of fuel or getting sort of gasoline-powered cars off the, off the roads or whatever. I don't think we should just assume that this world is on an irreversible path to destruction and therefore build a metaverse that we can just escape to and ignore the problems, I think we should try to make it a better place. So one thing I think as a con, it would be 
that the metaverse could distract us from maybe more important short-term goals for the planet or even long-term goals for the planet. I think another negative impact, which we discussed, is just the fact that sometimes if we're too focused on digital interactions, we can actually become less united as a, as a society and we can lose valuable social and interpersonal skills. Do you think there's any sort of drawbacks or other negative consequences to a metaverse? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's hard to even think what's negative when, like, I think it'd be different if we were all really using it and in it right now. And so I think as of now, it's just nothing compelling enough for, I think, to even move people within that. Like, we just don't have, like, a good use case for it, for something that was so hyped and so popular. I guess it would be getting people more and more involved in, 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 in their digital selves versus, you know, having a presence in the physical world. But like I said, nothing really, uh, nothing's really been compelling enough for us to even want that. We'll see if people even, you know, where the R&D goes in the space that's also being very, like, right now in the short run it's going to be hard to be spending money on, on on building this. Right. No, so that's a challenge for sure. And I think the optimist, right, like the reason that we are investing in it is Meta has some pretty compelling ads for it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think they do a good job of talking about what it could be and some of the advantages. Like, you know, you're wearing your headset, you're in med school without needing a cadaver and you're operating on someone or you're like on a class field trip and you're interacting yes. with the woolly yes. mammoth and like you're living in some sort of like, time that maybe was once existed no longer exists or maybe it's theoretical and so you're experiencing things i think it can make the world smaller and like you know my family i have family overseas in australia and india my jessica has family in the philippines if we were in a metaverse maybe we could be together more in a sense but i think it also works really well for things like art and fashion things that you can sort of see and hear I think it works less f well for things that you would consume or touch. But I think it could be really interesting to just, as a thought experiment, create a, a society or a experience where there are no physical consequences or limitations. Right, I right, think right. that is in, inherently exciting to me, but it could it could be bad. Yeah. Uh, but I know, Mesh, you're, you're focused on, you know, as an investor, if I said, hey, spend all this money and you'll have cash flow in 10 or 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 years, and it'll be a lot, that might be enticing to you. But I'm sure if there was something that would pay off, even if it's a little bit less, but much faster, that might be more compelling. Well, it's kind of like the uh, the elephant in the room right now is that, like, why has the wind been sucked out of the metaverse? Obviously, we've said it multiple times, but like the compelling use cases, the hardware is not there. It's super expensive. But it's also because hype cycles are a thing in tech. And right now the hype is all around AI and generative AI. And I think Open, the company OpenAI that created ChatGPT has really come in and said, uh, okay, I think we just created a technology that could potentially change the world. Like this was the fastest growing company in history. It was the fastest to get to 100 million users within a very, 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 very short time frame. And I think that if you're a public company in tech right now and you're not thinking of your AI strategy, you're going to fall behind. And I think, let's use Meta as an example. Zuck is probably being pressured around that where he's like, I've been so focused on the metaverse. Oh my God, AI is a thing. And you know, Google's got barred. Microsoft invested in open AI. 
This is a thing that I think in the short run could see a lot of potential when it comes to changing the world of search and changing the world of information. You know, like ChatGPT costs $20 a month to use. I'm a subscriber to it. Like within weeks of it launching, I'm already a paying user for it and I have use cases to use it. And I think the, the pressure now is that if you are not investing in AI and you don't have an AI strategy, you may fall behind. And this could potentially like push us back on a lot of the metaverse stuff because these tech companies have to compete with each other. Microsoft's competing with Google, Google competing with Meta. It's interesting. So if AI builds the metaverse, <laughs> are they going to put humans in it? <laughs> it's very possible. I mean, that could AI actually help advance um, you know, potentially a metaverse. They could build like, it faster than us. Like a, I mean, like a, we've been at it for a year. We don't even have one yet. So AI as a concept has existed for a yes, long time. Yes. But now it's sort of becoming commercial reality to user adoption, I guess is a good phrase. It's yes. like becoming something that everyday users can can leverage. And that happens organically. So that's the other thing about technology is like you kind of know it when you see it. Things become popular yes. not through force of will, but through appeal to the masses. And so if the iPhone was clunky and slow and wasn't able to like process apps quickly and lost your files and couldn't store, you know, a million songs in your pocket, maybe it wouldn't have taken off, right? It's a function of the hardware being great and also the user experience being appealing to so many people. And so AI, if it can make people more productive and can be monetized like this year or next year, then of course you're gonna have to also invest in that. Yeah. And maybe, like you said, it could be leveraged to even build the metaverse. Other things which I think may have fewer drawbacks but kind of give us that escape is augmented reality. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So augmented reality, it does involve glasses, but that's like Pokemon Go yes. to you know, that's like the Augmented reality, maybe 1.0, and then who knows where it gets. There. And even like Snapchat filters and Instagram filters, right? Like right. filters on your phone are augmented reality. Filters on your phone, but filters more on the world, right? Like, yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. thinking up about it, like, you know, you're walking around, you go to some foreign country or you go to the desert or whatever, and like you can experience what it was like a million years ago, right? Through a headset or something like that. So that's like in real world, but it's enhanced or augmented. And so that's not as much of an escape. It is an escape, but you're still sort of like existing in the world that we all live and breathe in, which is, I think, in some ways better than a metaverse where we're just sort of plugged into a storage unit, right, with a bathroom. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That doesn't and, sound very compelling. Right. But that could be it. I mean, that's a sort of dystopian view of it. And then there's gaming, which, you know, Roblox, Fortnite, uh, those things are if I'm a developer of them, I'd call them metaverses. I think I the one critical difference is that they're not interconnected. They're closed. Yeah, yeah. So it's like we want everyone in our experience spending their time, spending their money, generating traffic for us, for our bottom line. We don't want to bring them in and then have them go spend time in our competitors' world. Yeah. And so I think that's a closed system. Yeah. And you can, if it's more finite, then you can build it in detail, right? Yeah. It's like, how do you build all of existence, right? digitally. I don't know. But I know how you can build a city, yeah. right? You map it out, you code it, you design it. And that is more discreet. And I agree with you. I think, look, I've been consuming a lot of, um, you know, trying to learn about game mechanics and stuff recently. And I go down these like rabbit holes um, and you look at like GTA, like the mods, the GTA mods, like 
the videos on TikTok, like, this is a world where people are acting as cops or they're acting as robbers or they're just walking around. And the interactions between people are actually quite hilarious. And like, it is a digital world that people are living in. Before, like when we would play GTA, it would just be me or you moving around with a bunch of essentially computers. The P- yeah. And here it's like you're interacting with actual Non-playable people. characters. Yeah. <laughs> here you're- <laughs> If you haven't seen Free Guy. Here in this case, you're actually interacting with with other people who are in this world with you. Um, and I think gaming obviously is like one of the best potential, you know, use cases or compelling cases. And I think, you know, Paul, we won't really know until Apple delivers something to us that, you know, changes our view on this and actually makes us want to use it. So I think that's what it comes down to. I think it comes down to like what Apple announces and what they sh- show us is their version of this. But to your point, I mean, like Oculus, it, there could be someone out there working in their parents' garage that just comes out with something totally. that is phenomenal totally. and just checks every box and then you know, and then we're off one of the, the tech conglomerates will buy it. Well, and that's what happened with right. Oculus, right? Yes. Oculus was a Kickstarter right. campaign. And then got bought by by Meta, and maybe we just need you know it, it, again it, to your point earlier. It, it's like the first Apple smartwatch is very different from the the one that you're using now. It just gets better and better, and then there's more use cases, et cetera. And then maybe then when there is that, then you know companies that we've talked about that have cut costs around their metaverse spending, it comes back because the use cases make more sense. Exactly. I mean, once you hit critical mass, then all the investment and the focus shifts and it becomes like a race yeah. to to solve a problem, to outdo, to win market share. We're not there yet because there isn't really a market for it, right. but there exactly. could be. And that's the speculation. That's what's getting people all excited. Yeah. Question is, how long can you keep spending money on speculation? And in this economy, companies are saying, well, we can't continue to do it. Yeah. So I think the metaverse is definitely going to be a thing. I hope if we have a chance, we approach it thoughtfully and think about the pros and cons carefully before we dive in. But, you know, history doesn't always allow for that. Yeah, well, this was our Metaverse breakdown on on, on the latest what's happening here. Paul, great job. This was actually fun because we, we got to talk about, some, you know, a lot of the things that I'm working on on the side or have interest in and merging our passions together. So, well, that's our episode, folks. Very and, theoretical. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll keep you updated. We'll, you know, hopefully Paul and I are going to be looking at dinosaurs uh, he won't be shooting him, and maybe I'll be protecting him from afar, you know, but we'll see. Oh, yeah, no, if, if listen, I'm down to protect. If if something, if if I'm being attacked or whatever, I assume a dinosaur probably would view me as like a snack or something, <laughs> but um, I'm thinking the headset would just give you like your yeah, kind yeah, of ghost. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you're there, you can yeah. see them, but they can't see you, yeah. but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, well, that's our show for this week. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>